Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, a very pleasant good morning to you. Hi there, this is Patrick Timpone, OneRadioNetwork.com. It's a Tuesday morning around 11.30 or so. I don't know exactly what time it is because we're recording this on Monday evening. Uh, so please hold your emails and calls. It just worked out like that because our guest lives in New Zealand, which I think is like 13 or who knows, on the other side of the world, the earth, man. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy Mr. Bart K. He's professor in cardiology, cardiovascular rather, and respiratory physiology, a nutrition researcher, and uh, he's into um, the statistics and research methods, which is very um, important when you're looking at what's good and what the studies show and all of that. He has some peer-reviewed research and review articles, and I'll just read you a tad from the slide, which I think is interesting. About Bart K on his Patreon, it says, Nearly everything you've heard about human physiology, human nutrition, and human physical performance is probably dead wrong. And he left academia because he said they were wanting him to teach falsehoods. I'm sure we'll have lots to talk about. We'll go down to New Zealand. Mr. K, a very pleasant, uh, oh, it's morning there. Uh, good morning. How are you? I'm very well, sir. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thank you for having me on. And I can report down here in New Zealand that it is already Tuesday morning at 11. <laughs> That's right. So there you go. Could you tell us what the stock market did overnight so we can make some money? Oh, it doesn't, well, work. It wish, doesn't work like I that. Wish. No. <laughs> it, it doesn't work like that. So you are an avowed uh, um, fan of eating meat, right? Animal-based products. That's a given. Looking at your Correct. work. And we've yes. we've done a lot of shows in the last four months since I've kind of gone over the edge. Some of my listeners think I'm crazy, but you know I feel I feel good. So uh, I guess what they would like to know when you talk about carnivore, Mister K, is it professor or well, how should I address you? What do you would say? Art is fine. Art is fine. If, if you want my if you want my actual full appropriate titles, yes, they are field marshal. Lord, Doctor, Professor, but Bart's fine. <laughs> thanks. Yeah, thanks. Thanks yeah. for that. How do you know uh, that we are carnivores? How do you know that? Okay, there are several um, convergent lines of evidence that I rely upon to make such a determination. The first thing that you need to understand about human nutrition science is that it does not exist. It doesn't exist. It does not exist. What you have is a ring-fenced area, a fraternity, if you like, of pseudoscientists who are doing pseudoscientific and or even anti-scientific works which are basically underpinned by theology, ideology, and or the almighty greenback dollar, or any combination of those things. What does not underpin our so-called knowledge of human nutrition is actual science in that field. You have to look outside of the of that ring-fenced area of ideology for the actual hard science, the, the reproducible um 
checkable actual science on what human beings how we are designed by the evolutionary process by natural selection pressures um, etc to to get a gauge on this so the first line of evidence is there what we know for a fact absolutely whether you believe in a higher power whether you believe in a god or mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. that does not preclude the fact the absolute irrefutable fact of genetic drift of evolution of species over generations according to both positive and negative selection pressures if a given animal behaves a certain way the genes that support that behavior are selected for and the genes that would be a problem with regard to that behavior are selected against and they are progressively eliminated whitewashed out of the gene pool hmm. Hmm. so all we really need to do is find out what it is human beings definitely have eaten how have we gained our nutrition and that will give us a pretty clear indication of what genes will have been selected for and against then we cross check that by looking at our actual organ systems our biological process our um, metabolic pathways all of those kind of things and we go do these things line up and agree it turns out they do absolutely and then the other line of evidence is we look at anecdotes from the now hundreds of thousands of people who have joined us in this crazy cult-like behavior of just eating meat and fat <laughs> and find out how many of those people suddenly drop dead of scurvy or cancer or heart disease and we find out that um, actually they're not doing that they are thriving their health is improving mm. their chronic health complaints are ameliorating and it all it all tracks in the right direction interesting so the first underpinning is the anthropology here's what the scientists the real scientists the actual adults in science if you like here's what they've done they have found inside the long bones of human skeletal remains they find a protein called collagen collagen being the most uh, common protein found in the human body mm -hmm. and it remains viable for a very very long time so human beings are thought to have walked the earth for 350,000 years give or take and every single skeletal set of skeletal remains of human beings found anywhere on the planet of any age up to and including well over a hundred thousand years old every single one of those returns a, a specific value for the nitrogen and carbon isotopes found in that collagen in those long bones which is a stable isotopic thing it doesn't drift over time so much that the nitrogen one and what it does is it gives the researcher an absolute slam dunk an absolute unequivocal means there's no question a definite answer to what that human being did eat while they lived with regard to the source of protein in that person's diet was it animal protein or was it plant protein and the levels of the nitrogen isotopes tells us how much of each that person ate hmm. so it's an absolute slam dunk we then support that with some um, ancillary carbon data that tells us you know the, with a 
any carbohydrate taken in was of this source or that source and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And it just all corroborates. Anyway, the results all agree within about a 5% range for all remains found anywhere on the planet of any age up to and including well over 100,000 years old. And the answer is human beings ate almost nothing but the flesh and associated fat of mostly large ruminant animals for the entire time up till about 10,000 years ago where some smart cookie said, hey, here's an idea. Why don't we grow fields and fields of grass and eat the seed of that instead? Hmm. Which was absolutely disastrous for human health. Um, the only thing that we've ever done that was worse for human nutritional needs than add carbohydrates to our diet was to add industrialized seed oils. Yeah. Like, so there's evidence yeah, when, when we went to the grasses that... The, the health of the species did had deteriorated using the same metrics, Bart? Yes, same. our cranial capacity reduced. The wow. size of our, our, our skull reduced. I ergo, there's a fair claim there that the size of our brains reduced hmm. about 10,000 years ago. Hmm. Our dental health fell to bits. The shape of the arch of our upper and lower jaws changed dramatically, became much smaller, much more cramped. That's when we started having trouble with wisdom teeth because there was no longer the space in that arch. Our bone structure became less robust. Um, our stature reduced. That's when the evidence of heart disease starts to kick in and cancers, most notably bone cancers is what they're finding, obviously, in the skeletal remains. Um, so, so you're saying then, yeah, yeah. So you're saying, Bart, mm -hmm. then the the reason that orthodontists are so popular, you can't fit all the teeth in the jaw is no accident. I mean, over ten thousand years, yeah. it, things just got smaller, and we couldn't. Why wouldn't we genetically just not grow so many teeth? Wouldn't we figure that out? Yeah, a genetic drift is a slow thing, okay. and what generally has to happen for something to change is there has to be a real negative pressure against that. Now, wisdom teeth come in in your early 20s usually, mm -hmm. by which stage typically throughout evolution, people have already passed their genes on. Then they got wisdom tooth problems, got teeth infections and died early because of those before orthodontistry and all of that. But that, that means that, that the pressure to change has not occurred. That gene has not been wiped out. Hmm. The one that says we have two extra teeth that come in in our 20s. Yeah. But the fact that we no longer need this great big robust dental arch to carry all these huge teeth that were designed to incise and to grind up meat are no longer required. And then there's also the, the interesting thing that a lot of these these people that argue against what I'm saying will say is, well, you look at our teeth and they look exactly like a frugivore's teeth. Right. We're fruit eaters, they'll say, because look at our teeth, they're the same shape. Well, again, we go back to the, the positive and negative selection pressure here. Okay. Every day of my life, I am presented with a beautiful plate of ribeye steak or similar which I sit down to, and every single day of my life, I look at my lovely partner who prepared that for me, and I say, thank you very much for preparing this steak for me. I, I really appreciate that. However, unfortunately, I'm unable to eat this because I don't have sharp, pointy teeth like this. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> 
I understand. No, human beings have a brain, opposable thumbs, and the ability to fashion knives and forks. There is no pressure that would mean that we need to have teeth like a canine or, mm -hmm. or a, right. you know, or a large um, feline species, for example. So, if we go back so, thousands of years, is there any way of knowing? that we ate stuff that we didn't like and let go of the gene, I guess we wouldn't know if we let go of the gene, would we? Yeah, I'll give you a classic example, yeah. and there is a really good one. Yeah. There is not one single living human being on this planet who has the gene for the enzyme involved in making your own vitamin C. How'd that happen? Well, vitamin C was a problem. Hmm. While ever we were living in trees, eating a lot of fruit and stuff, it wasn't a problem for us because we were eating almost no meat at all. Then we climbed down from the trees, stood upright, had a look around and said, look at all these lovely animals here on the plane. Perhaps we'll eat those instead. How are we going to do that? I know we're going to dive at them headlong with our open mouths, with our sharp pointy teeth. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to fashion sticks and stones and we're going to work together and we're going to use strategy and we're going to think about it and we're going to communicate and we're going to hmm. basically corral large animals like mammoths that can't run away from us and we're going to take them down using our sharp pointy sticks, etc. Uh, at least that's what the cave paintings tell us. The other thing you won't see on a cave wall is a painting of a salad uh, anywhere. If you're looking for one of those, you won't you won't find one. Um, yeah, it turns yeah. out that if there is too much vitamin C in your system, most of it is excreted in your urine. Yes. Mm -hmm. So you've probably heard that sure. if you take too much vitamin but C, you just have excess urine. Yeah. 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 However, that's not strictly true. Not all the excess vitamin C is urinated out. An amount of it is metabolized to another product, and that product is a thing called oxalate. Oxalate. Oh, oxalate. Oxalate combines with calcium in your system and forms a thing called calcium oxalate, kidney stones. Hmm. Hmm. Kidney stones, of course, are called kidney stones because they're most commonly expressed in the kidney. However, they can occur anywhere in the body. And the fact that they're called stones is also a bit disingenuous because when you think of a stone, you think of something kind of round and kind of lumpy. Mm -hmm. These aren't round and lumpy. They are sharp, pointy, spear-like crystal shards that are knife-like, rapier-like. And they will puncture cells. They will destroy tissues. They can kill you. And so what humans did is they came down from the trees and they started eating a whole bunch of um, meat instead of the vegetables and in so doing they reduce their carbohydrate intake by nearly a hundred percent turns out that the um transporter the protein on the um wall or the the, the membranes of every cell of your body that take up vitamin c from the blood into the cell where it, it needs to be to do its work Turns out that transporter is a transporter called GLUT4. GLUT4? The exact same one that's involved in uptaking carbohydrates from your blood to your cells. So carbohydrates and vitamin C are competitors for the same binding site, the same transporter. So if you're eating a bunch of carbohydrates, you need a whole bunch of vitamin C in your bloodstream to be able to uptake it. And the excess will be urinated out 
not a big problem. Remove all the competition for the GLUT4 on the, on the carbohydrate thing. Now you need vastly less vitamin C in your blood because you need vastly less vitamin C to get through the transporter because it's not being outcompeted by sugar. So now you've suddenly got an overplus of toxic burden of vitamin C. Wow. That might, this is a theory. It's not proven. Sure, it's my theory sure. is that that's what wiped that gene out in human beings. Wow. So let's stick on the evolution idea a little bit and, and guide in that. That's pretty interesting to think about. Is there any evidence at all that somehow we humans plop down here, you know, just a man and a woman like an Adam and Eve idea, just, or that we had to come evolve from something? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. What do you think? It, it seems pretty clear that the evolution of species by natural selection, i.e. Darwinian so-called theory, right. is anything but a theory. It is a fact. It is what has occurred. Via the anthropic principle, things have ended up now where they are now. So for those who are not aware of what the anthropic principle is, it's a law that says things are as they are, purely and simply because they could not be any other way. Hmm. <laughs> the thing is, we can't explain why we have the number of different quantum fields that we have identified. Neither can we explain the parameters of those fields, why, they, why the settings of those fields are what they are. Because if they were anything even slightly different from what they are, then the very fabric of reality of the universe as we understand it would fall to bits and we would not be here. Hmm. We are here precisely because those parameters are what they are on those quantum fields, but we have no idea why. Why does this field have this much weight or mass? For example, why does this field have this much uh, amount of so-called quantum spin and not another, and not another value? So the, we're not precluding some higher power saying these are the settings, these are the fields best right. conduced to my ends, i.e. the nature of reality as we understand it, make it so. Big Bang, if you like, which is funny because if, even if the Big Bang theory of Genesis is correct, uh, it was neither big because it came from a singularity, which is the smallest thing possible, and neither was there a bang because there was no air for the sound of a bang to travel through. <laughs> so uh, the Big Bang is not a good name for this thing, right, expansion, right. It, it apparently at the beginning. So, so uh, I wonder what, at some point, didn't we know that we know in other words you know animals just know i have a dog and she knows everything right at some point yeah. though didn't we know that we know was that could that have been a big change or a spiritual thing going on i mean you know what i mean like um, you know, like souls the, you know? yeah the, the the difficulty with most people i guess mm. is that they are unable to grasp and conceive of how long it's taken us to get to where we are. Hmm. Even if you take the beginning of life on this planet as the beginning of our journey, I don't think it is, personally. I think the materials for life were delivered to the Earth hmm. on a rock from space, yeah. or a number of rocks from space, actually. So actually the journey is probably more like 13,800 million years to Whoa. get to here. Hmm. 
let's just say it's just here on Earth. Let's say life suddenly it's just started happening yeah. on Earth hmm. and we're unique in some way in the universe, which is ridiculous. We're not. Um, anyway, that's, that's 3,800 million years or so. Now, if you want to work out how long that is, sit down and count one number every second until you get to 3,800 million. <laughs> and each one of those seconds represents a year wow. of existence. Wow, wow. It is a sort of a long time, to borrow the terminology used by the late Douglas Adams. It's sort of a long time. Sort of a long time. <laughs> yes. So, um, so you think, so you're thinking it, it, that maybe… It's drift. It's, yeah. it's drift slowly over that over eons and, and eons and eons. So we can't understand how we could possibly have become so complex. Ergo, it must have been a higher power that just plopped us down on the planet. Here's Adam and Eve, off you go. Don't yeah. eat the fruit, by the way. Right. Don't, don't eat that apple. <laughs> don't touch that apple, whatever you do. Um, don't eat pork. Don't eat, yeah, that's right. Don't <laughs> eat pork. Don't eat apple. Yeah. Uh, we're talking with uh, Bart K, and uh, he has a, a Patreon uh, little thing that we'll tell you about. And, and is that your main website? You don't really have like a website website, do you? I, I don't have a, like a website website at this no. point. I keep being told I need one, and I, oh, I'm anyway. on the far side of 50 and a bit of a technophobe, actually, and uh, one day I'll put a website up. I, and yeah. how, how long but have no, you... I have, a, I have a Patreon. Oh, how long have you, sir, been eating mainly meat? That would be about seven and a half years now. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And you got out of academia, you say, on your Patreon because folks were trying to want you to teach stuff that you knew was wrong? Correct. Huh? Well, well, among other things, it was one of the things that made me decide I didn't want to be in academia, I didn't want to be lecturing, I didn't want to be playing that game right. um, anymore. There was quite a culture of bullying and harassment mm -hmm. and patch protection and ego and you know all those things were were uh, factors plus the fact that any salaried position is what it is and you're kind of limited in your income to what that salary is that's being offered by that institution at that time right um and i wanted to progress to something else i'd been in academia for 25 years and i'd got as far as i was going to um, the, the old adage is that in any hierarchical structure, each individual person rises to their exact level of incompetence and then remains there. <laughs> and, and that's kind of where I was. I, um, I was at the highest level I was going to be allowed to attain. Right. How is your there is a class How has your health and energy overall changed in these seven years when you just meet? Please. Well, okay. Several things have occurred over that period of time that are quite notable and these are associations these are not cause and effect proven things but it's the only thing i really changed about seven and a half years ago was my diet because uh, i didn't actually change my occupation until about four or five years ago mm -hmm. so that change came later anyway here's what's happened i am 15 pounds lighter on average without exercising particularly because i really don't exercise particularly any more than the next person right. um quite 
severe, sometimes quite disabling anxiety, bipolar disorder is completely resolved. Wow. Well, 90-something percent. I still have the odd, you know, flash of anxiety gotcha. and all of that, but I've, yeah. I, I no longer feel like going and hiding under my bed for years at a time. Wow. There was one there was one point literally where I actually I had agoraphobia and I could not leave my house for over a year. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. Wow. So there was some quite serious mental health challenges mm. that I have overcome mm. coincident with changing my diet. Um the weight loss thing occurred. I had very serious fibromyalgia, which is a a, a condition where you have a belief where well, your brain has a belief that your muscles are stiff and sore and yeah. you are unable to move normally and naturally and all that kind of stuff and it's very very disabling that's gone i had every digestive disorder you could possibly think about and name just about over the years really right all gone hmm. um and I've also had a miraculous change in the health status of my vision of my eyes, but I think that's probably coincident with a nutraceutical supplement product that I've been taking because that occurred more like 12 years ago yeah, that that situation yeah. resolved. But I think the change of diet was synergistic and did help. Hmm. And I say all of these things because the underlying cause, the underlying, it's a thing called, we call etiology in science, the cause of all of those disease processes I've just outlined, it's the same cause. Which and is it's chronic cystic inflammation. Inflammation, which is yep. caused so by... mental health concerns yeah. largely traceable to inflammation of the brain tissue. And that is caused by anything other than animal foods? Well, plants. Plants. Because they are rooted to the spot, they, they cannot run away from you they cannot hide from you they cannot dive into a pond and swim away they don't have wings to fly away they have to convince you that you shouldn't eat them by other means and the way they do that is they fill their tissues up with toxins some animals have strategies to deal with those and to gain their nutrition from plant materials they are herbivores or americans would say herbivores we would say herbivores because hmm. there's nature in front of it. But that's for another day. <laughs> um, we are not herbivores, patently, clearly. All you need to do is look at the stable isotope testing of the collagen in the long bones of human remains, and there's your answer. No, not herbivores, actually, at all. Obligate hypercarnivores is what we are. And as such, we don't have those strategies to deal with those plant-based toxins, one of which, by the way, is oxalate Yes, in, yeah. in large amounts. Yeah, we've Just interviewed Sally K. Norton a few times. And she, oh, good. Sally's a, Sally's a good one. She's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, how is it even possible to our listeners thinking, oh, my God, you mean vegetables aren't good for me? I mean, it's like, just That's like right. a, your brain explodes when you, when you think about that. It right? yeah. <laughs> it's like, the thing is, anyone <laughs> um, that was born pretty much any time in the last hundred years, really, uh -huh. has been absolutely brought up, indoctrinated, brainwashed, had the same message re repeated to them again and again and again throughout their lives that a balanced diet is a good thing and it's health-promoting. Eat your vegetables. You need your vitamins from your vegetables and your and your phytochemicals from your vegetables. And you need fiber. Fiber is very important in your diet. Um, actually, it's not. 
fiber will destroy your enteric function, your gut function quicker than almost anything else, actually, as it turns out. All these ideas are a propaganda message which has been bought and paid for by the Wheat Growers Association, largely, and you know, big agriculture at large, who have a vested interest in selling you the idea that you need to eat plants. They also have uh, financial ties to the allopathic medicinal industry who have an absolute vested interest in making sure that you're behooven to them throughout your lifespan, i.e. they want you sick so that they can keep prescribing you drugs and then they need to prescribe you drugs to deal with the side effects of the drugs they've prescribed you for, the problems that they've caused you by telling you to eat plants. The whole thing is a vicious circle. It's, it's a hamster wheel. It's about money. It's about control. It's about getting you to not only believe their propaganda, but to actually defend it to the death against any charlatan like myself who could dare say you shouldn't be eating plants because I'm obviously nuts, basically. Um, you know, I'm just um, I'm an outlier here. I'm 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 the I'm the sole voice in the in the wilderness or something. Um, well, no, because there are many, many quite sensible commentators who have now cracked onto this idea and gone, actually, sure. we've been had here. So, no, vegetables are not good for you. So, so if we were out in the wild and, I don't know, we didn't have any, we just couldn't, I don't know, we weren't smart enough to kill a deer or something, would we survive out there just eating stuff, green stuff out in the woods? For, for a time, would you? if, number one, if, if you are knowledgeable enough to know which plants won't kill you stone dead immediately, <laughs> which right. ones you survive on for a time, right, right. then you could. Most notably, in season for a couple of weeks a year, you might find a few fruits and berries. Mm-hmm. Now, if we're thinking ancestrally, the fruits and berries that you would have been able to find are nothing remotely similar to what you can go to a supermarket or a greengrocer and buy today. Those fruits are all selectively bred for to be juicier, sweeter, plumper, brighter in colour, lower in fibre, more appealing, more palatable, more addictive, actually, all of those things. Not to mention the toxins that are naturally in those things. You'll also find they've been sprayed with human toxic chemicals as well to discourage the bugs and things, you know, that, that kind of carry on. The same is true of vegetables. They're all selectively bred for. They're all, some of them are actually human inventions. Brussels sprouts, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower. They're all, they actually all come from the same wild plant. They're all selectively hybridized variations of the same thing. They make, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, the, the wild plant they come from is, is the, um, the wild mustard plant. Which, well, I challenge you, go and eat some wild mustard plant and see how you go. Yeah, yeah it's, that's, that's, that's so very, vegetables, very chard and spinach and all of these things, which are full of oxalates that Miss Norton tells us uh, that are dangerous, mm-hmm. according to her research and yours. Um, they uh, do we digest? I mean, do they have anything in there that we need? Anything? Any? 
there are some things that you will find in these leafy green vegetables and other things that we're told are good for us because they contain these things. Right. Sure. But the stuff that is good in the plant material, number one, isn't necessarily accessible when you eat those things because of the anti-nutrients in those plant tissues that lock that stuff out. Oh, you don't even you don't even get the nutrients. You don't even get you don't even get them. Just because they're in the stuff doesn't mean you get to absorb it when you eat that stuff. Oh, I see. Because the plant here's the thing: the plants don't want you to gain nutrition by eating them. They they, can't run away from it to prevent you from eating them. So they have to undertake chemical warfare to lock those nutrients out. The only way that herbivores herbivores get nutrition from plants. Is not by digesting plant material. No. The way they do it is they cultivate huge, huge colonies of bacteria in their convoluted gut systems that uh, that break that material down, hmm. that ferment that material, and release some of the things that those animals need to survive. And guess what those things are? They are released when bacteria break down plant material in the guts. Well, the short-chain fatty acids, which are 100% saturated, by the way. So the exact nutritional makeup, for example, for a gorilla is almost 100% saturated fat. Wow. And cows and buffalo? Same deal. Same deal. Now, the other thing is people say, well, cows do well on grass. Cows live on grass. No, they don't. Cows chew up grass into small accessible bits for the bacteria in their first three of their four stomachs to churn and cogitate over and to to, um, break down into the short-chain fatty acids. That's where the cow gets its fats from, from the bacterial fats that are produced. Mm -hmm. And then the cow needs protein. Do you think the cow gets the protein from from the protein in the grass? No, sir. Here's what the cow then does. It then pours a bunch of acid over the bacteria that have been in the first three stomachs moving through those and digest those bacteria for their, for their protein. Thank you very much, bacteria. Wow. Then the cow excretes out the grass that's been all chewed up that hasn't been broken down, basically untouched. That fertilizes the grass and grows it some more and also seeds that grass with those bacteria that that cow will then eat next time around or another cow will eat. And it's, you know, the great circle of life. That's yeah. how that works. Wow. That's that whole idea of this regenerative farming where they can prove they bring heavy-hoofed animals into areas that they can actually turn the desert things into life because mm. of their pooping and they're breaking up the yep. soil. Really fascinating, isn't it? Which is a whole yep. other thing about the vegetarians say that, you know, animals are killing the planet. You know, it's just completely the opposite, isn't it? It's, it's that, that is just so <laughs> divorced from reality that it's laughable. It's 180 degrees out of phase with reality. Wow. It's the most ridiculous thing I've heard. I mean, when you think about it, clearing an acre of land for a monocrop, maize, corn, soy, rapeseed, whatever it is, for, for food, the act of clearing that land and plowing that field over kills hundreds of millions of animals. Really? Yeah. Without question. Yeah. 
hundreds of millions of animals per acre die so that just just before we even get to the part of planting the seed for these crops <laughs> that's before we spray any insects that then move into that crop hmm. yeah that's before the fact that we're removing we're removing progressively a whole bunch of nutrient from that soil that we're not then replacing because there aren't animals there defecating on that land hmm. and it's not being used in you know the, the same bit of land will be used for generations and generations and generations of of maize growing, wheat growing, or whatever else growing. It, it, it's an absolute um, disaster for that piece of land. Yeah. And it's completely unnecessary because we don't need a single gram of plant material in our diet ever as a human being, not one. We just don't. We, just we do not need don't. it. There is nothing in plants that human beings require nutritionally that we cannot source from eating meat in the right amount in a species appropriate species specific amount as dictated by the fact that we have actually around about four and a half million years of of evolution in a form very similar to the final human species that started walking around the earth about three hundred and fifty thousand years ago Prior to that, about four and a half million in very similar species since we came down from the trees, stood upright and said, oh, look, yummy, yummy animals. Let's eat those. We're talking with Professor Bart Kay. He is a, a professor in cardiovascular and respiratory physiology and nutrition. Can you hold on a second, sir? We want to promote a couple products. Mm-hmm. That's how we make our living here. Mm-hmm. Uh, such as, pay the bills. Uh, <laughs> pay the bills. The house payment's coming up, baby. Uh, uh, what do you think? Uh, I wish you could wish it was live because I'd like to get some of your feedback. But we'll come, you know, we'll figure something out. Uh, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. This is a technology I came across three years ago. It's uh, one of the most uh, prolific little um, um, molecules in the universe. It's called molecular hydrogen, and you could actually breathe the gas and drink the water. Or check this out. In our ongoing education about the Aquacure hydrogen machine. Is Dr. Mark Circus recently on our show. You know, somebody needs oxygen. It always should have the hydrogen with it. Why? Well, even though medical science is only into hydrogen for about 10, 11, 12 years, 70 years ago, this guy, the Swiss guy, holds the record for deep sea diving, went down about 2,000 feet. How did he stay alive down there? Super cold, super pressure, super stress. He breathed 96% hydrogen and only 4% oxygen. Just to tell you what this gas can do when you're near death's door. My goodness. You don't want just oxygen. It doesn't really help that much. But with hydrogen inside of it, wow. Sure, I'm liking mine. Where do I tell you more about it? Get the AquaCure on OneRadioNetwork.com in our store. Promo code OneRadio. Don't forget the promo code. And uh, that'll get you 20%. Three years ago is when I started. And, you know, I'm not making any claims and all that stuff. But you can go, go to MolecularHydrogenInstitute.com and look at uh, peer-reviewed studies. And I don't even know if that means anything anymore after, <laughs> who knows, right? They call it peer-reviewed study. Oh, God. But anyway, this is uh, Tyler LeBaron. He's really done some great work with hydrogen. And they're doing things in China and Japan with uh, stroke patients. Uh, so again, uh, we don't make any medical claims with this, but there's something cool going on. I feel better and better. Uh, of course, I'm eating pork chops, and, and, you know, 
ribeyes. What can I tell you? So anyway, check it out. It is a promo code of one radio, and you get 20, 20% off the molecular hydrogen bronze gas machine. We like to we like to sweat, and one of the things we like to do every day is to jump in our little sauna, and sweating is really fun. The relaxed far infrared sauna is uh, probably, I think, probably the best one out there. And there's a lot of reasons you can say something like that. They have uh, uh, developed this over ten years in, in actually Taiwan, and it's a the far infrared uh, uh, light 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 beams that are really conducive to creating the kind of molecular structure in the fourth phase of water Gerald Pollack talks about, and it works on the, the water in the body, and uh, it's, 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 it's a great product, and we think it's better than the wooden ones because it's like 25% less, and you don't fry your head. You stick right out there if you see the picture, and uh, you will sweat like there's no tomorrow. It gets, uh, the internal body temperature goes probably about three degrees. I think it's about 101 if you're 98 or so. And the internal body temperature and you jump in a cold shower after that and baby, you're ready to take on the world. The relaxed far infrared sauna. The only way to get the price that you want is to email me, me moi, Patrick, at oneradionetwork.com. Patrick, oneradionetwork.com and we'll give you the best price we can, which is 1295 delivered in the lower 48. For those of you in Petaluma, that doesn't mean Alaska or Hawaii. Um, no. But, um, uh, uh, and we ship them all over the world. We've shipped them down there where Bart K lives in New Zealand, Australia, Canada. About 200 bucks uh, shipping to Canada. So email me and we'll hook you up. The Relaxed Far Infrared Sauna. Sweating is a really beautiful thing uh, in our opinion. And I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, so, you know, check it out. Just email me. From the Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com. Well, uh, you used to be an academia kind of guy, and uh, ever since um, ever since that old, what was the Framingham study, you know, they're still on this low-fat cholesterol thing. I mean, after all these years... Mr. K, mm-hmm. still, after all these years, they're still running with this. I mean, doesn't anybody catch on? There is too much money at stake. Wow. Statins, the whole thing. Statin medications, and now the, the new generation of the PSK9 inhibitors, etc. These are drugs designed to lower the expression of the concentration of cholesterol in someone's blood. These are the most successful drugs financially. Wow. Pretty much, you know, on, on a par with things like antibiotics when they first came out. Hmm. I, uh, I can't remember the exact numbers, but I think the, the, the profits being made on statin medications are in the hundreds of millions, if not the billions of dollars every single year in the US alone, I think from memory, don't quote me on that. Go and look it up from on on the search engine of your choice if you want to know the exact numbers. Um, That's not the point. The point is it's a lot of money. And what are the dangers of lowering the cholesterol down to 120, 130, 140, 150? Well, the the dangers are hard to pinpoint exactly Mm. because we don't have cause and effect studies 
on low cholesterol any more than we have cause and effect studies on high cholesterol. What we have is associations. Now, the, the analogy to use here is, well, the first thing you learn in the first morning of your first undergraduate degree as a scientist, if you went to anything like a decent school, in that first lesson, they will say to you, write this down and memorize it <laughs> and keep that forefront in your mind throughout your career as a scientist. Association, correlation, cannot inform on causality, period. Here's the analogy. So that's the fact, and that it is a fact. You cannot establish causality by looking at associated factors. Here's the analogy. If I go to a popular holiday resort near the beach, at the beachfront, shall we say, mm -hmm. and let's say there is a first aid tent, a medical tent, at that beachside resort, and we ask that medical tent to keep really good records on how many people present to that tent on any given day with sunburn. And we collect the, that data up, and then we go to the seller of ice creams at the ice cream vending stand, and we ask for their sales data on ice cream on the same period of time. And what we're going to find is a very strong, very positive, very clear association between the sale of ice creams and the incidence of sunburn. Ergo, here is what we must do to prevent sunburn. Shut that ice cream salesman down. <laughs> it's absolutely, fundamentally the most ridiculous and anti-scientific thing you can possibly say or do. That is what we are being told with cholesterol in our blood and heart disease. Wow. Cholesterol causes heart disease, we're told. No, it doesn't. And I'm saying that with my cardiovascular pathophysiologist's hat on. Okay. The cause of atherosclerosis heart disease is chronic systemic inflammation, not cholesterol. Not at all. And where does the inflammation False. come from? Well, the inflammation in the vascular epithelial beds, so that means the cells that line the veins and arteries, mm -hmm. it comes from several places. Number one, if you have chronically elevated blood pressure, then the shear forces on the walls of your arteries is increased by that increased blood pressure. Mm. And over years and years of red blood cells and everything pushing past that with sideways shear force, that causes physical damage. It loosens the gap junctions between those cells, which is another problem, and it causes damage, physical damage to the structure, hmm. which then the body responds to by becoming inflamed. Now, when that happens, of course, what you've got is damage to the, to the cell membranes. 50% by volume and by weight, actually, of every single cell membrane of every single cell in your body, including the cells lining your arteries, is made up of a thing called um, cholesterol. It's there for a purpose. It's there because it makes up 50% of the structural integrity of those cell membranes. So if you damage those cells and they need to be repaired, then your body's going to want to deliver a whole bunch of ex extra cholesterol there to affect the repair against the ongoing challenge of that damage, hmm. Hmm. for example. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and that's that's done, obviously, by increasing your blood cholesterol level. So we've got an association between cholesterol and heart disease, haven't we? But that's not the cause. Use the sunburn analogy, if you like, or I'll, or I'll add another one to make it clear. Every single time on the news when there's a forest fire, a major forest fire anywhere, you will see shots on the news of fire crews running around, scurrying, scurrying around being fire crews. Does that mean the cause of forest fires is fire crews? Because they're always there. Of course it isn't. And neither is cholesterol the cause of the heart disease. It's responding to it. Yeah. Another cause of damage to the to the cells in your in your vascular tree as well is plant irritants, plant toxins. Those oh, these, things. These that, oxalates that you spoke of. That's an example. Wow. Yes. Wow. Phytates, tannic acids, lectins, hmm. all things that can cause inflammation and cause a problem in that vascular bed. While we're on it, this is really interesting, hmm. by the way. Yeah. Atherosclerosis heart disease occurs in the arteries, which is the high pressure side of the vascular tree. It's blood traveling from the heart out to the tissues. Okay, the arteries. Yes. Veins bring the blood from the tissues back to the heart. Mm -hmm. Veins do not experience atherosclerotic heart disease ever. They don't. Only arteries. Only the arteries. Despite the fact that veins carry the exact same blood hmm. that's just traveled out to the tissues, back to the heart, and it contains ostensibly the exact same concentration of the exact same cholesterol. What's that about? But well, it's about the fact that you need damage to the cells, inflammation to the cells to initiate the atherosclerotic process. And that doesn't happen in the veins. It Why? only happens in the arteries. Why not? Because of the pressure difference. Oh, the pressure difference. Veins are low pressure, hmm. laminar flow. Arteries are high pressure, pulsatile. How does insulin play into the inflammation of the arteries? If you have a diet which is rich in carbohydrate hmm. what happens is your cells will only absorb so much glucose from your blood before those cells will ostensibly close off the doors close off for business no more incoming glucose thank you reason being is that glucose above the physiological normal range is toxic it destroys the physical structure of cells. It binds to DNA and alters it. It destroys lipid rafts. It breaks down cell membranes. Hmm. So your body has to keep the level of glucose in your cells below a certain level, and it does so very effectively. There has to be a sacrificial lamb. There has to be someone that pays the price of that fact that glucose is not allowed to diffuse into cells according to its concentration gradient. Mm -hmm. And that sacrificial lamb is the red blood cells and the vascular epithelial cells. The reason that they cop it is because they can be generally replaced much more rapidly. They are much less complex cells than, say, a muscle cell or a heart cell or a, you know, whatever. Because the blood glucose is going up and up and up, and because the insulin is no longer effective at getting the glucose to translate into the cells because the cells have locked the door from the inside, 
It's not actually the insulin per se that's thought to necessarily actually cause the problem. It's the actual elevated blood glucose. Hmm. And the, the disease processes of type 2 diabetes and, and, and type 1, any, any form of diabetes, it doesn't matter. Okay, Diabetes is elevated blood glucose. A lot of people say diabetes is underpinned by insulin resistance. No, insulin resistance is the result of diabetes. It's not the other way around. Just too much sugar in the blood. Just flat out too much, too much sugar in the blood. Flat out. Flat out too much sugar in the blood. Now, the way that's measured is they'll do a thing called an A1C or an HbA1C, it's sometimes called. It's a measure of your blood. Over three months or something. Glucose level over the previous 28 days or so, give or take. So if you're someone that's got elevated blood glucose, that means that the cells of your epithelial tree are being damaged by glucose that damage will lead to inflammation and that inflammation will lead to heart disease. Pretty simple. Simple as that. Yeah, simple, yeah. simple as that. Right, right. Mm. So if you were doing a little uh, blood prick uh, in the morning, you know, one of those little things like that, what would be, is there an ideal kind of number you like to look at? It does vary from individual to individual and from circumstance to circumstance and from time of year to time to year, the really? seasons even, mm. to the circadian rhythms, all of that. Yeah. A good fasting blood glucose level mid-morning, so let's say you wake up and you start moving around, you start doing things, you get ready for work, maybe you travel to work, whatever else, blah, blah, you don't have breakfast. Don't, no, no food. No food, okay? And then middle of the morning, say 10 in the morning, you take a blood mm -hmm. uh, prick level. You would want that to be somewhere between, to be generous, somewhere between 80 and 100. Oh, that high? Oh. Potentially, yeah. Mm -hmm. The reason being that in the morning, when your body detects the first rays of light, it dumps a bunch of glucose into your bloodstream hmm. from, from the liver. Huh? That's called the morning phenomenon. And as such, you will experience an increase in your blood glucose before you even wake up, before you've eaten anything, actually. It comes from stored glucose in your liver. Really? And it's to get you ready for the rigors of the morning and et cetera, et cetera. And then you get up and you get moving and you do you know, a bit of this and a bit of that. And then what many people do is pour breakfast in on top of that. And that breakfast is generally made up of things that are carbohydrate-based carbohydrate. for most people. Mm -hmm. And that breaks down to get more blood glucose very very rapidly for some of the stuff that causes another massive insulin response that'll drag your blood sugar down even lower than it was before you started and then you're on that treadmill it's 10 o'clock in the morning time for some biscuits bit of cake and then by lunchtime you'll be starving again because it'll cause another insulin spike and, 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 and then you're on the treadmill for the day and you're eating carbs all day damaging your vascular epithelial cells all day every day of your life um, and carbohydrates are also obesogenic by the way i challenge you to get fat eating meat and fat only just it just can't do it you can't do it you can't do it, can't do it. <laughs> it's impossible well it's not impossible it is physiologically possible but i'll tell you what i i, I did a, a challenge between um january and march at the beginning of this year mm -hmm. And as part of that challenge at the beginning of it, I did a two-week period of vastly, grossly, hugely overeating on animal fat and meat only, no carbohydrates. Right. Two weeks, 
of eating three full meals a day plus snacks. And each one of those meals was about one and a half times what I would normally eat in an entire day prior to so that. meat and fat, just meat and fat. Meat and fat only, no carbohydrates, no plant material of any kind. Hmm. And it equated to um, six, six and a half thousand so-called calories of energy every day for 14 days. Yeah. Did I get obese? Did I put on any fat? Did I get heavier during that 14 days? No, sir, I lost 15 pounds. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. I've lost about two, three most pounds since I've done yeah, carnival. Yeah, it was water. Yeah, is it water? But that's, yeah. that's the thing. The thing is, if you're inflamed because you've been eating the wrong thing, right. you will hold on to water and fluid in your body. All right, right. As soon as the inflammation drops off, the water weight drops off too. Uh, Bart K, do you think we, you humans and our listeners around the world listening to this, need any carbohydrates? I mean, do we need any carbohydrates? Okay. The exact dietary requirement for a human being for carbohydrates on a daily basis is not one single gram ever. Ever? None at all. Ever. So you're talking fruits? Zero. Any kind of, of course, obviously Zero. grains, but even fruits? Zero. Zero. All of it. Zero. Really? You can prove that? Absolutely. Wow. I have a new friend who I just met recently, actually, through the activities of what I do in terms of interviewing mm -hmm. people on my YouTube channel about their story into the carnivore way of eating, the carnivore lifestyle. How did they discover it? How did they get started? When did they get started, etc. Most of the people I speak to are recent devotees. They are recent convertees to this way of living. Right. And as such, you know, there's not a huge amount of long-term data on people eating this way. But recently, I met a gentleman who lives over there in the States called Richard Rodriguez. Rodriguez. Yep. He went carnivore 39 years ago. Wow. That's the longest I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. That's the longest I think anyone's heard of so far. We've got, you know, Kelly Hogan at 22 years, I think. We've got a number of people approaching a decade. We've got a few people over a decade here and there that we can point to. But here's the thing. We're told scurvy will take you out within six weeks of not eating any fruit. Well, false. 39 years is a lot longer than six weeks. <laughs> I'm seven and a half years in, and I'm still waiting for the scurvy. Scurvy. Also, by the way, no fiber means we can't go to the boys' room. We can't go to the toilet. Not so as clearly often. I have, not, not as clearly, often. I haven't moved my bowels in seven and a half years, have I not? <laughs> I think you'll find I have every day, actually. <laughs> Much more easily than I ever did previously without any effort whatsoever. Isn't that interesting, too? Yeah, you no know, I was thinking about it, too, Bart K. That I was, you know, I was hanging out with people who were saying, well, you have to poop two, three times a day because I was eating all this yeah. stuff. I was The only reason yeah. I had to poop two to three times a day is because I couldn't digest all the stuff I was eating, Right. Pretty, That's right. Pretty much. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty much. Yeah. It's like, yep. and isn't it fun to not even think about when you're going to poop and you just poop when it's time and that's it? Yeah. Game That's, it. that's yep. it. That's it. <laughs> now, yeah. I, I do I mean, find... And, and literally, you know, without, without too much detail, the whole procedure is less than a minute. Yeah. Sit down, no pushing, no straining, no effort whatsoever, lay a rope, one and done, we're out of here. Yeah. And not Finish. much toilet paper no. is needed either. Isn't that curious? No. And also the volume... The diameter, 
much, much less because it's not packed out with a bunch of stuff that we could not digest. Wow. Amazing. Just, it, I mean, you know, just almost all the meat and fat that you eat, there's very little waste. Now, I have found for me, and I'm just new at this, so don't go by me, that I really need to keep my fat intake up to have the yep. elimination be happy. And what's that about? Um, there's a sweet spot for everybody. It's a bit individual yeah, in terms of out. makeup, um, fat, and protein. You work it out for yourself, N equals one experimentation on yourself as you go along over months and months. I start people, when I'm counseling people, I start them at a 66-33 ratio by so-called calories, um, which is a one-to-one ratio by volume of macronutrient, fat and protein, which works out in terms of what you see on your plate as basically about one-eighth fat and seven-eighths meat. So ribeye or New York strips. Is is meat is mostly water. Uh, meat is mostly water. I've read that, and that's true, really. It's mostly water? Yeah. Yep. So it's about three-quarters of the weight of meat is water. So when you're working out how much protein you get per gram of um, meat, you take the 4K calories, so-called, in protein, and you would divide that by four, for a gram of meat because of the fact that most of it's water. Wow. It's about one sixteenth, in fact. So no wonder there's not a lot of poop. I mean, because it's yeah. <laughs> mostly water. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And the fat that you consume is mostly oxidized for Ox- energy to produce ATP in your cells. And the end result of that process of um, chemical reactions in the body is carbon dioxide gas, which you breathe out of the lungs, hmm. and water, which you urinate out of the kidneys. Hmm. Is there a lot of difference between, say, fat on a New York strip or a ribeye and actually having extra tallow for fat or butter? And- I always add extra butter yeah. when I'm having a steak, mainly because there's usually not quite enough fat on a steak, and right. many butchers will actually actively remove fat from the steak before they sell it to you, unless you get to them and say, don't do that, please mm-hmm. provide me the steak as it comes by nature. <laughs> Give me a fat so you meat. have to have a good relationship with your local butcher and you know be mates, and he needs to understand what you're doing. Right. He or she, I should say, that was very sexist of me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and so they need to understand what you're doing and, and be able to provide that for you. We also, on a monthly basis, usually buy a large bag of offcuts. Of what, sir? From everybody else. And we eat a lot of those ourselves. Well, I, I, I'm sorry, I missed the word. Buy a bag of what? Offcuts. Offcuts. Offcuts, which is? Yeah, fat. Fat. Oh, just oh, fat. And you can cook that along yep. with it. Right. Yeah. So we eat a lot of that, and we feed a lot of it to our dogs as well. Uh, and organ meats. A lot of the carnivores, they say, well, you got to have these organ meats, liver, Whatever, what's your whole take on the organ meats? Okay. Again, the exact requirement for organ meats in human beings is not one gram of organ meat ever. Ever? Ever. You can absolutely supplement the muscle meat, which is our absolute genetic gift. That's how we did absolutely gain our nutrition. Everything you need is in muscle meat. Mm. Um, It can be okay from time to time to add in a a little bit of organ meats absolutely eat brain if you like absolutely um liver 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 is the one you need to watch 
Mm. Liver is one you should absolutely not overdo, in my opinion. Mm. And the reason is because there are non-zero risk factors involved in liver consumption that is above what we would have done in evolutionary terms. Mm-hmm. The two particular issues with liver is a very, very high concentration of retinol, vitamin A, which can be toxic potentially if you're stuffing your face with tons and tons of liver. I've never actually seen a bona fide case of it. I've never seen it proven as this mm-hmm. is definitely going on. Nonetheless, it is a non-zero risk and it's an unnecessary risk because you don't need it. The other one is it can throw your copper ratio out because liver has a very high concentration of copper in it. And if you get your copper to zinc ratio out of whack, that can cause a domino effect where all your other electrolytes can suffer. Speaking. So I always advise people on a precautionary principle, think of it this way. If you take down an animal, a large ruminant animal for food, Mm -hmm. what proportion of that animal is liver? A very small amount. Mm. So what proportion of your food ought to be liver across time? A very small amount. That makes sense, right? That makes sense. If you were going to eat liver at all. In actual fact, if you look at tribes of Inuit folk, for example, and you see footage of them from the 1920s or whatever on the black and white flickery stuff that you see there, yes. they're sitting around in the hut post-hunt, tucking into their seal blubber and, and seal muscle meat. You'll also see them cut the seal open, pull out the entrails, including the liver, Toss it on the floor for the dogs. Really? Yeah. Nine times out of ten. Yeah. And so o- only in Hollywood do they do the liver first, right? They always do the liver, right? The, yeah. <laughs> the liver is the yeah. prize, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, a lion will take down an animal and eat the entrails first. Oh. The musk meats will be eaten last. Hmm. Um, because even lions know inherently they don't know because they don't have an intelligence, but they kind of have an instinct to eat that first and leave the muscle meat for last because it's likely they're going to be driven off that kill by other animals like packs of hyenas that can outnumber and outmaneuver lions, for example. Or there's another species that's even cleverer than that that can drive lions off a kill, and you're looking at one of them. We're the ones without the sharp, pointy teeth. We're the ones with the sticks. That's right. And the language and the ability to, you know, communicate and strategize and stuff. We're also the ones that have harnessed fire, which lions are very afraid of, by the way. Yeah. And rightly so, inherently, because, you know, fire's on the plains and all that. So we could easily chase lions off a kill. They've quickly cleared out the entrails. There's nothing there left. Although the muscle meats are all still there. So we'll have those. Thanks. Hmm. What about what about wolves and any guidance uh, to feed our our dogs, which I have one lying right next to me at this moment. Mm. Yep. Yep. Also, there's 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 another really good example of of an argument there, isn't it? Human beings formed a a very close, very unbreakable friendship with canines, with dogs, which is now thoroughly, thoroughly ingrained in our very being. Now, was that? because we were using that to our advantage because of the dog's ability to sniff out and hunt down salads for us. <laughs> Vegetables and things. Tell us where they were. 
or were the wolves pretty good at taking down prey so that we didn't have to do it and we could train those dogs to return it to us mm. and we'd look after them and keep them safe from other animals and mm. stuff and they would understand the benefit to them and we would train those animals and yeah, hmm, interesting isn't it do, do the wolves eat um, the, the the entrails first too yep, like the line yeah so when we look at the inuit would that be a guide to right, give more all the dogs will yum it up you bet would that be a guide to give more than we would take of the organ meats to, to okay, our canines yep. or, do you think right we have two canines that live with us uh-huh. in this house and they get a diet of raw muscle meat and associated fat mm-hmm. bones whole bones that they chew up and eat and organ meats organ meats hmm. yep oh. because that's their genetic gift they are evolved for that they need that yeah they need the bones they need the organs we don't what about eggs eggs good old eggs eggs are a great source of nutrition eggs are awesome good um if you're one of these people that doesn't react badly to eggs okay. many people do mm-hmm the allergy to eggs and to the lactose in dairy is one that many people have both of because they're a very similar process, those two things. So if you're like me and you don't do well on lactose and milk, you also don't do as well with eggs. And it's a bit unfortunate because eggs are a great source of nutrition okay. for those that are lucky enough not to be negatively impacted by eggs. Wouldn't we, our little gut, kind of figure things out on carnivore and and all this lacto or whatever intolerance would go away maybe no? it can be ameliorated absolutely yeah. oh. but once you have an ingrained allergy to a given thing it's very very difficult to really? retrain your immune system to think otherwise wow wow it's not impossible by um exposing someone progressively to a very very small amount of something and then slowly increasing that hmm. building up a tolerance to that thing but it's a long road and it's a lot of effort involved. But if we can tolerate it, do we? Do you think that a raw grass-fed milk or goat's milk or whatever is reasonable and a good thing to partake in? Look, it's absolutely fine. There are people that swear by it. There are people that say, I wouldn't do without it. There are people who say, I feel so much better on it. My gut microbiome is right. better on it, blah, 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 blah. Fine. I'm, I'm always one in terms of carnivorous diets that if it's not broken, it does not need fixing. Hmm. Yeah. Why complicate things? Yeah. Why make it more complicated than it needs to be? If you feel good on milk and dairy products and they, they you know, you, you fill your boots up, there's no problem in my mind with that. What people ought not to do, however, is to start tinkering around with adding fruits, vegetables, honey, carbohydrates, and plant material back into their carnivorous diet because something might not be quite right. So honey's not always a tinkering. Well, I'm talking specifically about Dr. Paul Saladino, who's oh, right, a very right. popular. He's a big honey guy. Yeah, he's into. A, yeah. He used to be strictly carnivorous. He used to be fully carnivorous. He used to say reasonably sensible things. What he did wrong in my mind as he started, at the beginning, he started to eat a lot of organ meat. He promoted a lot of organ meat, an unnatural amount of organ meat, and I think that's what started his problems off, to be fair. He's always been the nose-to-tail guy while he was a carnivore, and he's right. still saying it. You know, he's no longer a carnivore. He's saying, eat nose-to-tail, eat nose-to-tail, to which I always say, well, Paul, how was the last nose you ate? How was that? Was it tasty? <laughs> you know, come on, son. Um, yeah. 
And then what happened was he also was very, very physically active. He's a very active man. He He's surfs very, every day and all kinds of stuff. He surfs three hours every day. He does weights mm -hmm. for a couple more hours every day. He lives in Costa Rica and spends a lot of time doing, you know, physical outdoor stuff. Great. Okay. However, he was eating too much fat relative to protein, I believe. That was leading him to not having a meaningful insulin bump every day, which you do get from eating protein because protein is insulinogenic. Less than glucose by a huge orders of magnitude, but you do need an insulin bump every day in order to prevent your kidneys from becoming very porous and leaking all of your electrolytes out. Mm. And so Paul started to have very, very serious electrolyte imbalances. Number one, because of too much organ meat, which I was talking about earlier with the copper thing, I think. Mm. And number two, because of insulin, insufficient insulin response for him at his activity level. He needed more protein. Instead of adding more protein, which is what he should have done, he added in honey, and fruit instead, which absolutely solved his problem with the insulin thing, because he got a massive spike, right? And stopped his leakiness of his electrolytes, and so he thinks problem solved. And, and now he's promoting that everybody do this. But what's happening now is his carbohydrate intake is drifting up and up and up and up and up, and now he's talking about consuming four hundred grams a day of sugar really? every day of his life. In what form? Now, that's fine mm -hmm. while you exercise five hours a day at high intensity. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And while you're, frankly, young, because Paul is in his mid-40s. Yeah. Okay. By the time he's 50, though, the damage of all that glucose on his system will be vast. He will age at an unbelievable rate, and his health will absolutely abandon him and fail him catastrophically. And he will take down everyone that has believed him that it's now okay and indicated to pour sugar down your neck every day of your life. Do we need any sugar? None at all, ever. Ever? Your body produces all the sugar you require. Ever? Wow. A process called gluconeogenesis. We just don't need it. What, 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 we just don't need it. What, what happens is you need to have a certain concentration of glucose in your blood at all times because there are tissues in your body that must have glucose. They are your brain, your gonads, and one other that I can't think of at the moment. There are three of them. Mm -hmm. As such, you must have glucose in your blood. We used to have that subserved by living in trees eating glucose all day. Then we came down from the trees the reason we came down from the trees is because the trees all started dying off because the world glaciated. There weren't any trees to live in anymore, largely. So we lived equatorially, mostly around the plains, the grass plains, and we started eating animals. So that was fine. But animals don't contain a lot of glucose. There's a very, very small amount of glucose in the muscle meat, but it's not like eating plant material at all, remotely. I saw in one of the videos... So we had to have a system, and, and the system was our bodies now take the backbones of fat molecules, the glycerol, mostly, and, do the and turn that into sugar. Huh. When there's not enough of that, we can use several proteins to form sugar. We can also use lactate and other monocarboxylates like pyruvate and all that kind of stuff as well. Hmm. 
Interesting. We can generate sugar from non-sugar precursors. On one of the videos that you were talking about the electrolytes, and I, I every now and then I get a like a really terrible cramp, you know, on my calf, just hardcore. Mm-hmm. Thinking, well, I have electrolytes. I don't know. I do saunas. Um, and yep. you said something to the effect, Parquet, about you have to eat a sufficient amount of meat at one point to produce yep. electrolytes. Can you explain that and what's that? Yeah, it's, it's the thing I was talking about just a few minutes ago. You need that insulin spike. And, that's, and that'll do it, just with the protein. One of, one of the roles of insulin in the body is it sets the kidney tubules into such a configuration that, it, that they're not leaky, hmm. that they will filter electrolytes back into the urine before it passes into your bladder. If you have a flatline insulin all day, every day, then your kidneys become progressively less and less able to filter those electrolytes back into your blood and they will leak out in your urine. So you need to eat a sufficient meal of a sufficient amount of protein in one hit every day. How do you know what that is? That's why I always produce, I always promote one meal a day. So I was going to ask you about that. You do this one meal a day thing. Um, oh. And do you get hungry when you? Not at all, because I consume everything my body needs in that one meal, and my body says thank you very much and absorbs it, and I'm a happy chappy. And how I'm do you know when to stop? Blood sugar down by eating carbohydrates yeah. all the time. How do you know when to stop in this one meal? Um, do you just right. do you just over it? I'll explain that one to you. It's real simple. Is it over over about four and a half million years of eating meat yeah. as human beings and as species, very closely related to humans, but not yet quite human? Our brains developed a way of communicating with us by way of giving us various sensations. The brain doesn't have a language per se. It can't speak to you. But what it can do is it can say, you're hungry. You fancy some meat. Mm-hmm. And then you, you think to yourself, goodness, I'm hungry. I could do with some meat. And you go, nom, 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 nom. And then when you've got enough on board, your brain says, that'll do now. <laughs> and you feel like, well, I think that's enough now. I think it's enough. Yeah. That's how you know. That's it. The same deal with people are always asking me, how much fluid should I drink every day? Should I drink two liters a day? Should I was going to ask you about water, yeah. Well, here's the answer. When your body needs water, your brain gives you this sensation. It's called thirst. Thirst, yeah. Then you drink some water and your body says, thanks, I'm not thirsty anymore. So you stop drinking water. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible, isn't it? It's that, yeah, I understand. Yeah. Well, the whole water thing yeah. started. What was it, Batman Gellich years ago and your body many cries for water and, you know, that, yeah. that, that whole thing. Um Late cramps, is that uh, any ideas and what they might be? I've had a few of those. The most common cause is a a slight lack or imbalance in your electrolytes, probably involving magnesium as the first likelihood. If you're experiencing it quite often, there are two or three things to do. Number one, immediately increase your protein intake. Number two, what I would do is I would get some Epsom salt, Ah. dissolve that, in water, put it in a spray bottle and spray it directly on your skin, on your legs, huh. and let it sit there. It'll soak right in, huh? That's right. If your body needs the magnesium, your body will absorb the magnesium right through your skin. Thank you very much. Hmm. If it doesn't need it, it won't, so you haven't poisoned yourself with the magnesium that you didn't need. Right. So I don't suspect you take any kind of supplementation at all. 
The only supplement I take on a daily basis is is a nutraceutical supplement. It is not a nutritional supplement. Mm -hmm. It is a supplement that is designed to increase the release of adult stem cells from my bone marrow to my bloodstream. And then those adult stem cells go around my body and do magical things like repair and replace body tissues with brand new ones. Wow. Do you, do you know this Dr. C-Y-V-E-S, something like that? So I was, yeah. yeah. I don't know him personally, yeah. but I know who he is. I, I saw him. He I was critiqued a number of his videos. He was recommending past, yeah. taking cod liver oil or fish liver yes, oil. Yes, he's wrong. You should not touch that with a barge pole. Absolutely with not. With a barge Under pole. <laughs> it's like, don't, don't take go that. Any, look, here's the answer on oils. All oils. Do not consume oil, ever. Even olive oil, extra Except virgin? Do not touch at all, ever, Wow! under any circumstances. Don't add it to your salads. Don't cook with it. Don't let it get anywhere near your food, ever. And that means monounsaturates like olive oil, mm-hmm. even if it's extra virgin. That means all polyunsaturates, all seed oils, all those. rapeseed, canola, sure. whatever it is, yeah. all it, vegetable oil, do not touch. It also means... Things like cod liver oils, omega-3 oils, and omega-3 supplements. Do not touch. Reason being, very, very serious rancidity issues, especially if they've been refined, extracted, put into capsules and bottles or whatever else. Heat, pressure, chemical treating, bleaching, all sorts of things go on with that stuff. Inherently, oil is pro-inflammatory when it is removed from its normal makeup in animal fat, for example. It's highly deuterated. It is um, pro-inflammatory on two separate pro-inflammatory pathways. And that's before you look at the very, very dangerous primary and secondary oxidation products, like, for example, aldehydes, which at very, very micromolar concentrations will absolutely tear your body cells to bits. Really? Not good. Not good. Yeah, not good at all. Do not touch oil ever. What about seafood? You, nothing we, else from this yeah, chat. Yeah, okay. Do we need no fish? Oil. We need fish? Good, bad, indifferent? We need fish. We don't need it. Fish, fish is perfectly okay in moderation as part of a sensibly designed carnivore diet. Um, the basis for such a diet should always be the muscle meat and associated fat of large ruminant animals, primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, 80% is what I do, 80% beef. Beef. The final 15, 20% of meat intakes are lamb, pork, seafood, including fish, and everything else, including poultry and whatever else. All of that put together is 15%, Wow. 20%, and 80, 85% is beef specifically. And is beef in general, you believe, is a better choice than like buffalo or lamb or... Um, much of a muchness in terms of buffalo and lamb, I think. They're both pretty similar ruminant animals with similar makeup and similar um, fatty acid profiles and the fat, etc. that, that seem mm-hmm. to be pretty good for us. Mm-hmm. How yeah. come I don't sleep much now? So what's <laughs> I don't is it just normal not to need as much sleep? I find similar. I Do um, you? Hmm. I sleep less, I have less deep sleep. Um 
There is a theory around the melatonin-serotonin axis and lowered carbohydrate intake. Whether it's problematic or not long-term, um, it's hard to know because we don't have good, properly controlled, properly statistically powered data on large populations of people. But I'm okay seven and a half years in. Sean Baker's okay just over 10 years in. Kelly Hogan's okay 22 years in. And Richard Rodriguez is yeah. thriving, actually, thriving after 39 years. And he works a hard physical job every day of his life. How does he look? How does he look? Does he look well, he's 50, put it this way. He's 56 years of age. Right. He's strong physically. He's lean, wiry, muscled, more than most men his age. He stands tall with correct posture. Um, there's no sign of pain or discomfort in, in his body. He says he doesn't use an alarm clock and he goes to sleep at every the same time every day and wakes up at the same time every day and feels fine for that. The man doesn't have a single gray hair on his head or in his beard or anywhere. No kidding. Wow. 56 years of age. Yeah. Wow. Jet black. Hmm. And he, he assures me that he does not intervene to make that so. <laughs> That's just how it is. See, the thing is, he went carnival when he was 15 years of age. Wow. wow. So he, he hasn't had that damage to his body that most of us had hmm. by doing the wrong thing, by following the standard advice for most of our lives. So his advantage is, you know, he's, he's talking about, you know, lifting car engines without using a block and tackle, for goodness sake. Wow. Uh, and those things are hundreds and hundreds of pounds. There's some people that argue that, um, uh, you know, carnivore diet will increase cortisol, and that's why you mm. don't need to sleep as much. Anything to that? Um, again, I haven't seen good, statistically powered, observational studies on large populations of people that would convince me that that's definitely so or that it's a trend. Mm -hmm. It's a possibility. But also we need to understand that this description of cortisol as a stress hormone and therefore a bad thing is reductionist in the extreme cortisol exists in the human body because it has roles to play it has a purpose just because it's there doesn't mean it's a problem i see well we're always trying to fix things aren't we <laughs> well that's it we're always trying to fix things that aren't broke <laughs> it's incredible a couple more then we'll let you go i'm taking you a long time thanks for being on this show, it's my pleasure. Um, lots it's of pleasure. lots of um, people are concerned about the, how much it costs to do grass fed, grass finished, uh, you know, beef. I get emails, um, mm. so I, I know I interviewed Chafee. You probably know him, and uh, yeah, he's a good man. He's a cool guy, yeah. and he said I, he just goes to Costco, and he, that's what he that's what he does. So yeah. I, I, I guess we don't really know, or do we, if there's any things with the. Uh, if they give antibiotics to a cow or growth hormones, sure. you know, sure. without grass-fed, grass-finished issue, you think? Or? Yep. Okay. I always say to people that the ideal human diet is 80% upwards, grass-fed, grass-finished beef for mm. preference. Mm -hmm. And I usually use the caveats, if it's available to you easily and within your budget to do so for preference yes sir. failing that grass fed grass finished is absolutely fine and is still i would vastly sooner see a person eat a diet consisting solely of gra of grain finished grain fed beef 
than any diet containing any amount of plant material any day of the week and twice on Sundays. It's not a major concern. There is a slight concern about the fatty acid profiles. I'm not convinced it's a deal breaker. And even if it is different, really and meaningfully and long term, mm -hmm. you're still vastly better on that grain fed, grain finished diet than any plant based diet. Yeah. If you must have grains and stuff in your diet, filter them through a cow, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Any evidence at all do we know if they give an animal antibiotics when they're a year ago that would show up in us? Do we know? Yeah, okay. There are um, standards mm -hmm. on in the meat industry that there is a withholding period on slaughtering an animal for meat mm. post the treatment with antibiotics wherein the antibiotic level in that meat is supposed to be at its nominally safe level. Um, I don't know the answer to that. I don't think there's good enough science that anybody really knows the answer to. Is there any safe level of antibiotic residue in meat? Because it does have a half-life. Ideally, I would like all my meat to be antibiotic-free. Sure. Yeah. But I'd also like my meat I eat to be disease-free. And I think I'd take the small amount of antibiotic at the so-called safe level above... Yeah. Some of the problems yeah. you might get by eating unwell meat, very, very poorly meat, shall we say. Um, it's a sad fact that at the end of the day, human beings have changed our world through technology in such a way that there are many things that we can't take back. There are many pollutants in our food chain and in our environment that we can't get out of there, like mercury, like antibiotics, like super bugs that have been created by the overuse of antibiotics and sure. the inappropriate use of antibiotics, et cetera, et cetera. If we tried to avoid absolutely everything that could remotely possibly be problematic to our health, we'd have to become a breatharian. That's right. Just give it all There's up. There's no way to... Yeah. Sorry, boys and girls. <laughs> we have to live in the world that we're in. What do you, what do you think? A final question. Uh, our normal or whatever lifespan would be. Yeah. Okay. When you talk to the geneticists, the comparative anatomists, the comparative physiologists, the actual proper scientists outside of human nutrition field and outside of allopathic medicine, etc., when they compare the structures that make up a human with other animals of a similar kind and etc., they generally return a number somewhere between 120 and 150 years of age is what a human should expect if we would just get out of our own stupid way <laughs> and, quit and live a stuff. life that is blameless yeah. in terms of our nutrition and exercise um, undertakings. So eat a species-appropriate, species-specific diet. Is there any genuine question as to what that is? No, there isn't. It is obligate hypercarnival, absolutely unequivocally. That's a word that means there is no question. This no. is not up for debate. <laughs> Human beings are obligate hypercarnivals. Fact. End of discussion, period. That's how you should eat. Humans are also designed to be active at high intensity, burst and repeat, rest and relax in between. Mm -hmm. We are not designed to do hours and hours and hours of moderate intensity exercise. So please don't do that either. Yeah, yeah. That will destroy your cardiac health. It won't improve it, yeah. actually. It will also tend to make you hungry and make you overeat and crave carbohydrate. Yeah. 
which will make your fat give you type 2 diabetes inflammatory response including most cancers heart disease and most forms of dementia don't do it so it's no accident that the obsoletes that we call them whatever in in europe and eu wherever they are want to tell us that meat is bad for us it's making the world warm globally you know that whole thing and yep. there's a war on meat, and they want us to eat bugs and plants. Yep. Reason being is because they need us sick and poorly so that we're controllable. Hmm. And also, they have a bottom right-hand corner to subserve. They have a what, sir? A bottom right-hand corner. That's what you put at the bottom of your spreadsheet at the end of the year on your tax return. It's oh, how much money you Oh, have. I see. Bottom right-hand corner. I like that. That's, yeah. good. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. about money. It's not about your health. Yeah, never has been. Well, Mr. K, you're a fascinating fellow to talk to. Thank you so much for being on the show. Really enjoyed it. And uh, have a nice day in uh, Tuesday. In, in, uh, I will. You will. In, in, I'll send you those stock market numbers later, in, too. Yeah, just send me the stock market. Mr. K, yeah. thank you so much, sir. It's an honor. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Patrick Timponi, OneRadioNetwork.com, Bart K, and... Uh, Fascinating fellow, huh? Professor of Human Nutrition and Physiology. Okay, so, you know, what do you do here? You know what I mean. So we will see you uh, tomorrow, and I've got some real theories on how we create disease uh, from a spiritual perspective, by what we think and what we believe and what we imagine, that I have seen with my out-of-body experiences that I've been graced enough to have over many years. And... Um, so we're going to talk about that tomorrow at, at 10 o'clock and how the healing process works on a spiritual level, one of my specialties. So I'll see you tomorrow, 10 o'clock. Be here, be square. Thanks for your ongoing support. Uh, may the blessings be. Broadcasting from the beautiful Hill Country in Texas, this is OneRadioNetwork.com.